uh, Colossians 2.12. God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus did not raise himself. God raised Jesus from the dead. Critically important that we understand that. Because when God raised him from the dead, he was saying, Jesus, that sacrifice a day and a half ago, I have accepted it as mankind's salvation. If I had not accepted it, you would have remained dead. Colossians 2, 12, God raised Jesus from the dead. And he not only had a word for Jesus when he raised him from the dead, I accept your sacrifice, he also had a word for Satan. And he said to Satan, you have just done your worst, and I am going to raise my son from the dead. And when he comes forth, when he is raised from the dead, then he has crushed your head. You'll strike at his heel, his children, throughout all eternity, the very last day. But I have crushed your head. Sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated. And your power, your fear, your worry, your shames, your guilt, your hatred, and your anger, it has been defeated. When sin comes into my children's life, I'm going to take those sins and I'm going to trample them under my big feet and I'm going to throw them into the depths of the sea. And when my children meet death, there will be tears in their eyes and joy in their hearts because they know this one they love so much is now in heaven waiting for the reunion. And your spirit, which is not always an ugly spirit, your fears and your worries with which you besiege my children, they will remember any one of my 7,000 promises. And when they remember my promises, your fear flees. The tomb is empty. Jesus always knew who his enemy was. The Holy Spirit uh, leads him out into the wilderness. Uh, John the Baptist made declaration. Here is the Lamb of God. I'm not worthy to do anything with the sandals. And then the Holy Spirit uh, leads him into the wilderness. You know, if the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness, it means the Holy Spirit is with him. Just like all three were involved in the creation, so the Holy Spirit is with him as he's in that wilderness he always knew who his enemy was. Faced him at the very beginning. Comes against Jesus and says to him, Stones, turn them into bread. Says to Jesus, Jump off the temple, angels will hold you up. Bow down and worship me, I'll give you every kingdom your eyes see. He knew who his enemy was. Hebrews 2.17 says that, Jesus was made like his brothers in all ways in order that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And then it says, since Jesus suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help us when we are tempted. 
He was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan. They fell. Satan didn't have to work very hard on them. He just makes one comment. Uh, Did God say don't eat of the fruit? He knows you're going to be as wise as he is. That's all it took. And Adam and Eve fell. Satan had to try three times against Jesus. Three different temptations, three different angles. And every time he was tempted, he headed one direction to the Word of God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. Thou shalt worship no one else save God. Man does not live by bread alone. He used the Word of God as it's declared to be our weapon and our armor. He was the first to use it. He always knew who his enemy was. Simon Peter is saying, Jesus, if you talk about your crucifixion one more time, I'm going to strangle you. Jesus says, Simon Peter, get behind me, Satan. He looks at Simon Peter, he sees the hair, the eyes, the mouth, the tongue of Simon Peter, but he's looking at someone else. Get behind me, my enemy. I am going to the cross. It's a month before he goes to the cross, and the weight of it is beginning to be heavy upon him. He goes up the Mount of Transfiguration, asks Peter, James, and John to come with him. I need strength. You guys are my strength. Come with me. And when he goes up that mountainside, he's looking right into the face of Satan. He's saying, God, give me strength for what's about to come. God said, I'll give you some armor. I'll give you Moses and Elijah. They've been dead 1,500 years. They're still alive. They're going to speak to you, Jesus. And by the time they're through speaking with you, you're going to be heading for Jerusalem. After the temptation of Satan, how does God get involved? After the baptism, God says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove and lands upon Jesus. Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah, is that enough? I don't think so. I don't think it's enough. Because God says for a second time, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He always knew who his enemy was. When he's on the mountainside and he feeds 10,000 people with five loaves and two fish, Gospel of John says the crowd comes and they want to force him to be their king. And Jesus feels Satan's presence on the mountainside. And he says to the crowd, go away. And he says to his disciples, get into the boats. He knew Satan was there. He wanted to put an end to it quick. He always knew who his enemy was. When the scribes and Pharisees come against him for the last time, John chapter 8, he says to them, You belong to your father the devil. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. 
When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and his father lies. He says that to the scribes and Pharisees who are ready to capture him and kill him. He always knew who his enemy was. Why does Paul write in Ephesians 6, 11, and 12? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of this world's darkness. Why does he write that? Because he heard it from the apostles when he became a Christian on the road to Damascus. He heard it from the apostles. The apostles says, this is what Jesus was telling us. And that's what he writes. I said it on Good Friday. I said, why did Jesus say from the cross, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Father, forgive the scribes and Pharisees, forgive my disciples for running away, forgive Simon Peter for saying, I don't know who he is. Forgive the two thieves on the cross for cursing me and mocking me. Why was Jesus forgiving everyone? Because though he was looking upon their faces, he didn't see them. He saw Satan. He knew who his enemy was. And here is Satan saying, when he's hanging on that cross, I will still win. Because as he hangs upon that cross, I will get him to curse everybody. I'll get him to curse his disciples and the scribes and the Pharisees. I'll fill him with so much hatred and anger, he will become one of mine. Jesus didn't curse him. (laughs) He forgave him. And he was looking at the one not seen. He was looking at Satan. And maybe a little smile on his face when he forgave everybody. And then uh, Satan said, if he will not curse them, then let him be like Job's wife. Job's wife said to Job, it's so bad, our children have died, your property is gone, you're covered with sores, why don't you curse God and die? Satan is saying, he might not curse these, because he knows the one who's brought this to him. He will curse God, and then he'll die. As I said on Good Friday, he did not curse God. God cursed him. Because all he saw upon Jesus was the sins of all mankind. And Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't say, God, I curse you, I renounce you, I want nothing more to do with you. He said, my heavenly Father, why have you forsaken me? He always knew who his enemy was. So did God. And when Jesus dies, for a day and a half, 1 Peter 3.19, he is in Satan's realm. And he's preaching to the spirits in prison, the Kirgamah, the gospel. And then after a day and a half, God comes and he enters the place he had prepared for Satan and all his angels. God comes, swats Satan away like a mosquito, and he raises Jesus 
from the dead. And if Jesus were to say any word to Satan, he maybe turned around and said over his shoulder, I'll see you on judgment day. What were his first words? First words. Because I live, ye shall live also. Because God has raised me from the dead, ye shall live also. I want to tell you a story. In 42 Easter's in the ministry, I've only told it once on Easter Sunday. But I have shared it over 900 times. Because many a theologian will state that when you do a funeral service, it is a little Easter. Because heaven forbid that any preacher or any priest would go through a funeral service and not speak of Jesus Christ. Resurrection from the dead. I've had more than one individual say when I've done a funeral service, thank you for mentioning Jesus and his resurrection. And I sit there dumbfounded as they tell me they've been to many funerals where the only person talked about is the dead person and his family. 900 times this story... There were three of them, Mary, Moth, and Lazarus, dear friends of Jesus. It's two weeks before the cross, and Jesus says to them, I'm going up north, I'm going to preach one more time, I'll be back. No sooner does he leave than Lazarus becomes ill. I've always surmised that an illness, a plague had gone through Jerusalem, now it come to the suburbs. I've always surmised they call the doctors out from Jerusalem and they take one look at Lazarus and they say the illness he has is unto death. The same virus that went through Jerusalem is now out here. He's got the symptoms. No one's recovered. And when the two sisters, Mary and Martha, hear this, they stand unable to speak, the weight upon their hearts so strong they can barely stand there in the road outside the home in Bethany. Mary's faith is stronger, turns to Martha, says to her, we know somebody, and the somebody we know touches the deaf and they hear, the blind and they see, the crippled and they walk. We know somebody, Martha. Let's get Jesus down here. He'll touch Lazarus. Lazarus will live another hundred years. And Martha says to her sister for perhaps the first time ever, Good idea, Mary. Good idea. Let's get Jesus here. They hire a messenger 70 miles to the north. Takes him two days to arrive. And when he arrives, he says to Jesus, listen carefully, he says, The one whom you love is healed. He does not mention his name. He says, the one whom you love is healed. Why doesn't he mention Lazarus' name? Because he's not just talking about Lazarus. He's not just talking about Lazarus. When my son was ill with cancer 14 years ago, he's talking about John. When Vicki Butterfield was ill, he's talking about Vicki. When Kevin Carstens was at the end stage of pancreatic cancer, he's talking about Kevin Carstens. 
The 35 funerals I've done since last Easter, he's talking about every single one of them. The illness they have is not unto death. That's what he told the messenger. You go back and tell them that the illness is not unto death. In every funeral service, it behooves a minister or a priest to say, this illness is not unto death, and I'll tell you why it's not unto death. Because Jesus has risen from the dead. The illness is not unto death. Lazarus dies. Jesus says as soon as the messenger leaves, Lazarus has just fallen asleep. We need to go down there. Martha's so angry she doesn't wait for him to come to the house. She runs outside the village, eyeball to eyeball with him. If you had come right away, he'd still be alive. But I guess you were too busy. And then Jesus said to her, the most important verse in the Bible, if I ask you what the most important verse in the Bible was, would you tell me? If I offered you $100, would you tell me? What's the most important verse in the Bible? With a son in heaven 14 years, with my mom and dad in heaven, with aunts and uncles in heaven, with grandma and grandpas in heaven, with so many friends in this congregation in heaven, God would not be surprised when I answer him immediately and I say John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me, are you ready? Whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Shall never die. Shall never die. And then he asked Martha, Do you believe what I just said? Do you think I lied to you? And Martha said, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. If I were to ask you on Easter, do you believe in God? I do believe every hand here would go up. And I believe that 98% of those listening online this Easter Sunday, their hands would go up. If I ask you to believe his promises, would your hands lower a little bit? Would you think it's a trick question? It's not a trick question. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. We all believe in the doctrine of the guardian angel. doesn't matter what denomination you are. You believe in it. It's based in one verse. Matthew 18.10 The doctrine of the resurrection. That Jonathan is still alive. That Sandy is still alive. That Bill is still alive. That Vicky is still alive. That Kevin is still alive. That Jim is still alive. The doctrine of the resurrection based on 153 verses in the Bible. 153 times God says, because the tomb is empty, there is life after this life. Do you believe His promises? This isn't hard, people. If men can send some land rover to Mars... If that rocket taking it there has to travel 330 million miles in seven months at 24,900 miles an hour. If mankind can do that, 
What can God do? Oh, let's try creating a universe out of nothing. A universe that has no end, not one sun, but billions of suns. If God can put a sperm and an egg together and there's a person sitting in the pew, if God can do that, do you not think God has some means whereby that which He created still lives? In fact, lives even greater than on this earth. He had a means, the cross. He had a means, I'm going to raise Jesus from the dead. Do you believe His promises? Thank you, Eric. (laughs) Your good deed on Easter. You believe His promises. Is cancer stronger than God? Is brain cancer stronger than God? Few cells gone bad in the pancreas. Sharon, is that stronger than God? Is Alzheimer's stronger than God? Is the young man who died in the motorcycle accident last week, 28 years of age, is his death stronger than God? Did God say to the one that you love... Did God say, your heart's going to beat for 79 years or 27 years or 8 years. Your heart's going to beat that long and then it's going to stop and you're going to be dead and I'll be here for your family. Does God say that? No. God says, this illness is not unto death. And by golly, if He can put a sperm and an egg together and create you. Then when Paul Strand has breathed his last, He can raise Paul Strand to everlasting life. And after I looked at the face of Jesus, I'll be all over John. And then I'll be all over mom and dad. And I'll be all over the hundreds of those in this congregation who I have known, who I have mourned their passing, and celebrate their place in heaven. I think on this Easter, I'll close with Billy Graham. Billy Graham, a couple of years before he passed, he said, I will die soon. And when I die, there will be thousands of people crying. I wish none would cry, because I, Billy Graham, will be in the land of the living. And all of you will be still in the land of the dying. And I will be more alive than I have ever, 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 ever ever been, we, still in the land of the dying, we have 7,000 promises. And the greatest of them all is this promise, because I live, ye shall live also in our risen Savior's name. Amen.